pitching tents, the final determined movie pitching podcast. I nearly forgot what the fucking podcast is. Movie. Pitching podcast. And today we're going to be pitching biopics. Or as I've been calling it wrongly my entire life, biopic. Yeah, you've mentioned this before in podcasts, but I didn't feel the need to correct you. I was like, that's the choice of his people, that's fine. Um, But yeah, we're doing biopics. in a not timely fashion yeah. after Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, and fighting with my family. It's oh, been yeah. quite a few recently. So, uh, if you're not aware, biopic is what you think it is. It is just an autobiography turned into a film. It is a telling of a life. However, you, you can take it as a very isolated incident. You can take it as taking it through the whole life. Um, and we have Rocket Man coming up. So it is actually timely. Hey! Boom! It's like we planned it. God, there's a lot of biopics this year. Yeah. They're in right now. Hopefully mm. these two will be To as the point well. of winning Oscars, which is crazy. Yeah, I know. I mean, they normally do well at the Oscars, but not in terms of like... No. But not biopics that are essentially at the same time popcorn movies. Yeah. Like Bo Rap was, like I imagine Rocket Man is. Yes. Because I'm pretty sure that's Dexter Fletcher as well, isn't it? It is, yes. Well, there we go. Um, there's a very... He was on uh, Graham Norton... And it was quite a funny episode, and he was doing a good job. And like, he actually said, like, "Oh yeah, he sings uh, not only in the film, but they've done an accompanying album that wow. has Taron Egerton singing all the songs." Oh shit! Really? The, him and Jamie Bell duet "Saturday Night," Ooh. I think. Um, so, anyway, uh, we may get very to reviewing that. Who knows? But I think we will. We're here to pitch you our biopic movies. Yeah. And this time round, it's my turn to go first. Yeah. Um, so you correctly guessed almost straight away what area I was going to pick from. Did I? You did. Do you remember what it was? Wrestling. It is professional wrestling. Yeah, though it might be. I'm playing with my strongest butt. So, Fair play. Um, I, I, the guy who I'm going to do it on was kind of already there in my head. Mm. Uh, I will run you through a few options that I had. Um, so your obvious ones are like Stone Cold and The Rock. Now, with The Rock, I feel that movie will eventually be made by the man himself mm. in the ultimate self-serving ego project of all time. <laughs> he plays um, a younger version of himself. Yeah. With the hairdo and the fanny pack. Exactly. So <laughs> I think the, the, the issue was I didn't want to do anybody whose career is still going. Yeah. So I, as much as I would fucking love to do the Daniel Bryan story, he's at the minute he's back, he's made his miracle return, he's the current tag team champion, he's still going. He's gone heel though, hasn't but, he? Oh my God, he's gone heel in the best way though. He's gone heel for the planet. So he's militant vegan, so Daniel he's, Bryan. He's gone from being like the lovable lumberjack to... What? Yeah. Well, this thing, he to came Greenpeace? back... Peace? Exactly, exactly that. He came back and it was like, woo, but they just didn't book him correctly. And it was like, everyone was like, oh, yeah, Daniel Bryan's here. Yeah, we're all happy for him. But he wasn't going anywhere. So they just made a snap decision to turn him heel. But he's turned it around because he, did, he used to be shit on the microphone. Now he's the best. Yeah. And he's convinced everybody, like, I am the planet's champion. He switched out the belt, which had leather and metal in it. He switched that out for an eco one that it uses like hemp for the where the lever is on the belt. What the fuck? And put like earth stones in there. I'll show you a picture. It's the best. Yeah, he has gone full militant vegan and it's fucking glorious. <laughs> it's the only good thing about wrestling at the moment. It's not a good time to be a wrestling fan. You came um, back at the wrong time. Oh, good God, don't I know it. And it's going to BT Sports soon, so. Yeah. Uh, it's all going wrong. Um, anyway. Um, so I didn't want to do anyone's career who's still going. Mm. The Rock and Austin, the two obvious ones. The problem is, I know both of their stories well enough. Not even Triple H. No. Well, there's already the one on. You know. That's what I mean. You basically just be doing that, wouldn't wrestling you? Wrestling is wrestling. Is does Our that? X-Pac. Exactly. 
So, <laughs> he does come up in mind. <laughs> I'm so proud of who I've cast as Xbox. Um, so I thought, well, there's a story to tell there, but it doesn't really have the arc you would look for for an easy-to-adapt story for that. Mm. I imagine The Rock will find some drama in his life, but he hasn't really had a drop. Since The Rock got good, it's just been all up. So it didn't really make for good thing. And to tell the story of Stone Cold with the dips and stuff, it's murky. Basically, his career high and life low happened at the same time. Right. So whilst he was like the biggest wrestler in the world, he was also a paranoid, drunk wife beater. So didn't want to get into that. Um, Although that does sound like an interesting story. Exactly. Uh, You could do The Undertaker, but that's like (laughs) the blurred lines there. It's just it's too hard to... I can't tell if he's an actual wizard. That's the thing. So, (laughs) I didn't want to do that. They're doing Hulk Hogan for Netflix. Oh, they are? And Chris Hemsworth is playing Hogan. Oh, wow. So, that's that. Brother! Yeah. But the guy I picked eventually, I was like, I know the arc I would do. He he goes back and forth between my second and third favourite wrestler of all time. Stone Cold will always be number one. And it's between Undertaker and this guy for who is silver and who's bronze. Who was the guy who who did, we're coming for you? That's Booker T. Yeah, come on. Um, he's got a good story. You could do Booker T because he was a criminal and reformed and got um, went for wrestling. I'm trying to think stuff. of who was big. Like Ultimate Warrior, that might be fun. Oh, uh, no. Oh, Ultimate, Warrior. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior is a, was an awful human being. He's dead now. But, oh, he's a uh, terrible person. Terrible. He said, um, queering doesn't make the world work. Ooh, They've okay. now named an award after him for inspirational people because the really has no sense of shame. Um, but you may have heard of him. He is in wrestling, isn't wrestling. Okay. Um, but the man I've picked to do Shawn is Shawn Michaels. Michaels. I actually guessed it. Well Shawn done, Michael. Oh, okay, cool. cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal the um, casting as we go. Okay. So I'm just gonna move the, the laptop just a little bit. Sorry for the impact on quality of audio but i need to see my script okay here we go i'll try and keep this short but i don't know if i can um okay so we open i've got a very specific framing device that i'm most proud of about this movie but here we go so this is going to be called showstopper which was his nickname uh, i'm most proud of my tagline though it's going to be called showstopper the fake true story of Shawn michaels um obviously because of the blurring of real and fake in wrestling. So, we open on Shawn Michaels narrating him and a guy called Marty Gennetti, his former tag partner in the late 80s, early 90s, walking backstage. But we don't really see Shawn. He's kind of out of focus in the foreground, but we're looking over his shoulder at Marty Gennetti. I haven't cast Marty. He's only in this bit. Um, So, we hear... Shawn Michaels narrate himself. I'm not going to try and do the accent. Imagine me as a gravelly Texan. Um, let me tell you about Marty Janetti. There are few people on this planet I owe more to than Marty. We came up together. We travelled the road together. Uh, on screen, we see them enter into like what is a studio, a TV studio. There's an audience there, but it looks like a barber shop. Like has been set dressed there. Um, Man, we were a great team. We were the Rockers. And they show shots of them in the ring. Um, but the focus is always on Marty. You don't really see Sean at all. Um, we were the coolest thing around. No one was doing what we were doing. All the kids leaping around and landing on their heads now would be packing bags at the grocery store if it wasn't for us. 
On screen, the camera kind of pans around and you see Marty is stood next to a big barbershop window in this set dressing, mm. talking to a guy called Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Hell of a name. Um, so he's given, well, he had like a talk show, but it was in his barbershop. Right. Um, so Sean is obscured in the side, like right-hand side of the screen and you can see Marty and then a window behind him. Yeah. Um, yep, Marty was my best friend in the whole wide world. On screen, Sean super kicks Marty through the window. <laughs> but we'd come as far as we could. Sean, the camera then pans back round and you see your first clear look at Sean Michaels and it says, he was stopping the show. Only I do that. Crash cut to a laughing older Sean Michaels. Clearly it's been about 20 years on and he's sat uh, in a hall on a chair pissing himself laughing. I have cast Sean Michaels... As Chris Evans. Okay. So this is Shawn Michaels. Yeah. I will put a link in the description to all the pictures I have showing Michael. Um, so as you can tell, he was the one from Wrestling Isn't Wrestling that describes an effeminate yeah. male stripper. Yeah. I've cast Chris Evans because <laughs> he was the most excited about Chris Hemsworth getting the Hogan role. So I just presumed he might be into a wrestling show. Fair enough. And I think there's some similarities. I think that could work. Give him a mullet. That's going to yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. Give him, I, I couldn't find a single picture of Chris Evans with long hair. But yeah, yeah there we go. Um, so yeah, Sean is like sat in like an empty wreck hall on a, like a chair, mm. pissing himself laughing. Um, he looks surprised that no one else is laughing. He's like, come on, I'm the showstopper. I stopped the show. They kind of pan round to the rest of his AA circle meeting. <laughs> and they're all blanking, like staring at him like. And one of them just goes, you kicked your best friend through a window? <laughs> yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about titles yeah right okay so the framing <laughs> device is you have sean in the current well not the current day this is like the mid 2000s mm. of him telling the kayfabe story of his life the yeah. idealized wrestling as portrayed on screen version of his life right whereas we're seeing the real version mm. so imagine it's fighting with my family narrating the wrestler so what you're pitching is yeah um so fighting my family narrated as if it was arrested development yeah okay basically. so i mean because this is the thing those are the two most famous pro wrestling movies there's a lot more past them yeah. like natural libre and all that good stuff but fighting with my family airbrushed it too much mm. and the wrestler for my taste made me feel bad about being a wrestling fan and whilst i don't deny that there's a lot of that stuff that goes on it kind of misses out on the joy and some of the good things about wrestling mm. so i'm going for the middle ground okay of you don't really see... The idealised version is just in Sean's narration. We don't see it as like an alternative reality what actually happened. It's just him telling this fake story that's covering the right ground, but we're seeing what really happened back in the 80s. That's the framing device. Okay, so uh, we see Sean Michaels in his prime. This is like the early to mid-90s. Um, riding high as the champion of the company with his running buddy, Diesel, who you may know as Kevin Nash who's in uh, Magic Mike. He's the really big, tall Tarzan guy, who I have cast as... Uh, wait a minute, got to find his picture. These are out of order. Uh, I have gone with uh, Joe Manganiello. Hey, my Wolverine. Yes, they were both in Magic Mike, so they know each other. Okay. He's very tall. He's mm -hmm. taller than Chris Evans is, and I think they could pull that off quite well. Okay. Um, so Diesel was like his uh, bodyguard, essentially. Um, I'm missing a few bits out, but that was always going to happen. Um, 
I was the best. The best. Me and Kev, he doesn't call him Diesel, he calls him Kev, uh, were top of the food chain. I was invincible and no one could touch me. Um, so he's been like hyper-aggressive at how good he was. But then you cut to Shawn Michaels in the ring and you can, you're close enough to hear them talking through the moves. Yeah. Sorry if I'm shattering kayfabe for you. They're talking through the moves and being like quite polite about it. You know, they're talking about what they can do. It's like, okay, I'll throw you off ropes now. Just give me one of those really nice jumps. I'll come underneath you, look, make you look good. Cool. Okay. Because obviously they've got to cooperate when yeah. they're in the ring. Um, and that's basically, in a nutshell, what this framing device is. Him embellishing it like it's a real fight. And then you see Sean. No, he's, he's a good guy. Um, we also see him hanging out with Diesel and his other best friend, a guy called Scott Hall, who was also known as Razor Ramon, uh, who was like a kind of knockoff Scarface type of character, mm. who is going to be played by, I need to find his name, uh, it's Josh Demel from the Transformers movies. Okay. He's playing my Scott Hall. Sweet. Yeah, so those three were like a bit of a... What was his name again? Josh Demel. Oh, this guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, this his, is Scott Hall name. slash Razor Ramon. Razor, oh, Razor Ramon. So Scott Hall was just a name. He didn't have like a Scott. Something. Oh, no. When, so, just give it ahead a little bit. Right. But when these two, when Scott Hall, so when Diesel and Razor Ramon jumped to another company, mm. they started using their real names, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Okay. But in the WWF yeah, at the Razor, time, he was Razor Ramon. He was Cuban. He wasn't. He was American as fuck. But he was <laughs> Cuban. Cuban. Um, yeah, so they're like running buddies. They're a little click backstage. Um, so you see them kind of taking in life on the road, and Sean is almost always shown drinking beer. Mm. Um, surviving wrestling is all about strengths and weaknesses. I wasn't the tallest or the strongest, but I was the fastest, I was the most skilled, and by a considerable margin, I was the best-looking guy. Seriously, it was like a supermodel in a horror film. Look at me back then. Have you ever seen a hotter piece of ass? I was a Playgirl centerfold. You cut back to Sean in the AA meeting holding his Playgirl magazine. And one of the guys is like, you carry that with you all the time? He goes, you can carry it with you all the time for $10. Because they're all carnies. Yeah. Um, and that philosophy extends. I am skipping bits here. Um, that philosophy extends to your friends and your enemies. You want to keep any threats to your status sweet and work to destroy anybody who looks at you funny. And imagine my look when the biggest young stood on the farm walked straight up to me one day. We're back in the 80s. We see Sean and Kev talking to each other when a young Triple H walks in. My Triple H is going to play. Yes, he's going to be played by Liam Hemsworth. Okay. Yeah. He's got a bit of a squarer jaw, that works. Yeah. Big, tall guy again, taller than Sean, but not as tall as Kevin Nash and uh, Joe Manganiello, um, uh, who approaches Sean backstage at a show. Um, he's only just come to the WWF. He's not really doing much, but he's like, he's got a good look. He's good in the ring, so they feel like he's going to go somewhere. Um, so they're very complimentary towards each other. He you know, talks about all Sean's accomplishments. Sean is very, like I said, look, you've got all the potential in the world. But back in today, it's Sean going... Um, oh, and he's begging me, please, Mr. Heartbreak Kid, please take me under your <laughs> ring. I felt sorry for the kid, so I took care of him. <laughs> but, you know, he goes back to he wants to keep anyone who's a threat to him pretty close. Mm. Um, this is where I just wanted to get this cameo in yeah. because there is a backstage um, group called The Click, spelt with a K, that was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and X-Pac, yeah. who was known as the one, two, three kid. So I would have this... I don't know how many times he's going to cameo for this movie, but I really wanted to do it. And I know for a fact this actor loves wrestling, or at least loved wrestling. Right. 
And again, X-Pac is quite short compared to everyone else here. Scott Hall walks in and asks if Sean has got himself a young boy. And Scott goes, because I got one too. In walks X-Pac, as played by Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) (laughs) So just imagine all these big, self-serious guys walking in and then X-Pac run getting going, Sticking his tongue, getting so... it's Daniel Radcliffe pointing at his dick. I'm X Pac. This is the best description of anything in wrestling. Please go watch Wrestling Isn't Wrestling by yeah. Name Redacted um, because it's a I great. Know, we look. can say it. he's not. He's not a deity anymore. He's fallen no, from grace. Max yeah. Landis, please go watch it. But yeah, because it's the best description of X Pac you're ever going to see. He's this little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, it's, Daniel Radcliffe has said. I've seen him in many interviews. He used to love wrestling. That's so, fucking funny. And he's. Tiny, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> so he's my perfect Xbox. I don't know how many times he appears, but I just wanted him in there. For... Like, hey guys, just like every other minute, <laughs> just everywhere he runs, and he's just going <laughs> pointing at his dick aggressively. Um, then you get to the eternal hockey stick up my ass. We're introduced to Bret Hart, mm. who is played, and I have to give uh, props to a What Culture article mm. that was casting something I'm going to mention about in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I've got my Bret Hart played by Adam Driver. Oh, wow. Uncanny, right? Ooh. What culture put this out? And I was like, oh my God, that's spectacular that, that's casting. really good. Look at them. T- like, boring. <laughs> Fuck me. Kylo the Hitman Ren. I'm okay yes. with that. Um, right, so in this movie, Bret Hart is kind of framed as your antagonist, kind of. Sean is kind of his own antagonist. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so if you don't know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were like the Rock and Austin of their time. Yeah. Always compared against each other. Who is better? And it was like, it wasn't just everyone else. They really didn't like each other because they both knew they were in competition with each other. So he's kind of framed it. So Brett takes a bit of a kick in, but just know he's quite justified in a lot of things he does. Mm. He's Sean May's rival, both on and off screen. Uh, we see a few instances of the cold shoulder between the two. It's more Brett being cold towards Shawn Michaels than Sean being a dickhead. Um, and rumours are swirling that Brett is going to get a run with the title that Shawn Michaels currently has. Uh, we see... Um, He's talking backstage. Uh, no, I've gone forward a bit there. Reverse. Um, we're listening to Sean right again. Uh, Brett was good. I'll give him that. But you expect that level of consistency from a robot. Um, Sean hates the comparisons. And he's ranting one day to uh, Kevin, Scott and Triple H uh, about Brett's shortcomings. But Kevin's trying to like tell him something. He keeps trying to butt in. But Sean's just going off on one. When they finally stop Sean long enough to just talk to him, Kevin announces that he and Scott are leaving the company. Mm. They're going to WCW. Sean is like quite vulnerable at the moment. He's about to lose his title to the bloke who everyone compares him to, and his two best friends have just told him he's going to leave. So he doesn't take the news well. Um, and he, decides, he kind of gets this idea in his head. He's like, no, I want to I say bye to you two properly. Kevin and Scott are bad guys. Sean and Triple H are good guys. Back in the day, it was very closely guarded that this was real. It's not as open as it's saying everyone knows it's fake. Everyone knew it was fake, but they took defending that shit fucking seriously. But they orchestrate this thing um, called the Curtain Call. really happened. It was in a Madison Square Garden, untelevised show. And the end of the show, Sean, I think, wrestled um, Kevin Nash. And after the match is over, Triple H comes out, Scott Hall comes out, and they all hug in the middle of the rings. Mm. Good guys hugging bad guys in the middle of Madison Square Garden, the biggest arena for wrestling in the world, the home of the WWF. Just because he was like, I'm going to do a power play. I want to show that, you know, these are my guys. And maybe kind of put the willies up, Vince, that if he doesn't treat him right, he's going to go with them too. Yeah. Um, It's called the Curtain Call. Sean is an untouchable champion, so he gets no 
um, fallback from it, so it all lands on Triple H. Mm. This only adds to Sean's growing paranoia that now his only remain, remaining friend has now been absolutely shit on because of a decision he made. Mm. Not great. Um, things get even worse when a knee injury forces Sean to forfeit the title and Brett wins the vacated belt. Um, when he returns, Sean tells Triple H that he needs him with him everywhere he goes because he's just he's completely in his own head, they're out to get me. Mm. And he tells him, we're going to make a team on TV. We're not going to be two separate people anymore. Me and you are going to be united front. And he said, everyone thinks we're degenerates, so we're going to become D-Generation X. <laughs> Sean feels they need a replacement for the muscle that Kevin brought to their group. Triple H says, my girlfriend can do it. Sean's like... Why are you joking me? Until he meets China, who's going to be played by Gina Carano. Oh, yes, thank Boom. you. Yeah, Brilliant. nice and easy. 100%. That was, again, from the What Culture article. That has to be done. Yes, and um, they became D-Generation X. Sean, at this point, has just basically said, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want. Um, it's Again, wrestling is investing. I'm just going to put my dick in my people's face and see what happens. <laughs> I'm going to take my balls down and see what happens. <laughs> uh, man, we got away with anything. I basically started swinging my dick in audiences' faces and everybody, other than the bright pink Boy Scout, thought it was amazing. I felt like I was back to my best, but like he always does, Brett had to go and make it all about him. News breaks internally that Brett is leaving for WCW, the main rival promotion where Kevin and Scott went. Um, he, at the moment, is champion, but WCW have gotten this habit because they were feuding, like on Monday night, the two shows would run against each other. Mm. And WCW would do every underhanded trick in the book. They would tell you, because they were live, Raw was taped. They would tell you what was going to happen on the other show, so you didn't bother having to switch over and see what was happening over there. And if they managed to get someone uh, to sign with them who was still a champion in WWE, they would come on WCW and literally put that title in a bin and say, like, oh, they're trash and forget about them. They were really worried. It happened with the women's title. They were really worried Brett was going to do this because he wasn't in a great place for the company. Brett says, look, I'm a man of my word. I'm an upstanding man. And he tells Vince McMahon, who I have cast, this is my riskiest casting, I must say. It's Hugh Jackman. Ooh. Now, you've got to think, he's not playing this age Vince McMahon. He's playing slightly 90s younger. Vince McMahon. Yeah. And this, they're about, they would have actually been the same age. They don't look it, but they would have both been like 50s to 60s. I would have so. gone Ben Mendelsohn, but that's still really good. Maybe, I, I'm more thinking of the hair more than anything else, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Fair um, enough. <laughs> so I've got Hugh Jackman. Um, oh, Ben Milson would have been a great chair. That's really fucking annoying. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, so he tells, like, Vince McMahon, they've got a big show coming up in Canada, Survivor Series. He's facing Sean for the title. And he says, I don't want to lose the, the championship in Canada. That's my fucking stomping ground. We're in America uh, the next week, I think. I'll drop it to him on TV there. It's after his contract expires, but he's like, I will give you my word. I will make that booking. Sean smells blood in the water and smells an opportunity. So we see him and Triple H talking to Vince and convince him that Brett's going to betray him. Modern day Sean is telling a different story. He's like, people ask me if I knew about Montreal, but I can't say it any straighter than this, that I had nothing to do with the screw job. Again, blank faces. And they're like, what happened in Montreal? And they're like, you don't know about the Montreal screw job? <laughs> and one of the other guys goes like, oh, I heard about that in the sex addicts clinic. Basically, you... And then Sean's like, no, 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 no you pervert. That's not what I mean. Um, I mean, sorry, I'm glad you're getting the help you need, but that's not what happened. Uh, right, so then we do the Montreal screw job. For those who don't know... I don't. This is a very infamous night in wrestling history. Mm. 
Brett was told, you're going to win, and then they're going to go with your plan. You're going to drop the title the next week. But they actually hatched another plan, which was, at some point, Sean is going to lock in Brett's submission move on him, and the referee is going to call for the bell and give the title to Sean. And Brett will not tap out, because obviously that's not the plan finished, but that's what we're going to do. The referee was going to run out into a car and drive away, because he knew all the boys in the back were going to be fucking pissed at him. But that's how we're going to protect the belt. We cannot risk it going to WCW. So it's been a big conspiracy theory about who knew it. Vince gave the order, so Vince knew, and a few of the higher-ups and the referee knew. But Sean and Triple H have always been like, we didn't know. So the plan was they were going to screw over Bret Hart. Yes, the Mon- and it happened in Montreal. Right. Montreal, screw, screw job. Sean and Triple H have always, in real life, denied they knew anything but it's kind of like well you must have known something so I've just taken it as they did know and they did the plan because okay. I want to show Shawn Michaels like paranoid okay so that's literally was written on here as explain Montreal Screwjob um, <laughs> it actually is so the incident makes Sean public enemy number one he's threatened backstage by the one man you don't want threatening you The Undertaker who Whoa. I have cast as where's his picture it's Army Hammer <laughs> Yeah. Oh, big oh, give army that ha- man a goatee. Yeah, holy big shit. Sc- and he's not playing like old man taken now. He's playing Ministry of Darkness taken yeah. when he went full Satan. Wizard years. Yes, uh, like dark magic zombie <laughs> undertaker. So, yeah. Oh yeah, because didn't he actually crucify people? Yeah. Yes, he crucified people. He hung the boss man from the top of the... He literally hung him by a noose, suspended off the head in the cell. He went crazy in the mid-90s. <laughs> More crazy than usual. Army hammer, big lad. Yeah. Put a bit of white face paint on him, you're good. Sure. Um, so, The Undertaker, like... And then you go back to uh, The Circle. Um, and Sean's like, he's basically a zombie wizard. Um, I don't know. He's seven foot tall and weird. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> and he's the reason I had to sit on my ass for four years. Um, Sean is told he's going to wrestle The Undertaker for the title at the Royal Rumble in a casket match. If you don't know what that is, you win by putting your opponent in a Fantastic. casket and closing the lid. Yeah. Um, we see Sean and Triple H talking about the absurdity of it. Sean obviously is worried the Undertaker is out to get him. And Sean gets irate. But when uh, Triple H asks him if he's going to complain to Vince about it, Sean's like, are you fucking crazy? Take will actually put me in a casket if I do that. <laughs> um, so instead, I went out and gave the corpse one of the best matches of his life. But I shouldn't have bothered because my career was over. We see a spot in that match. Again, this is legit. Sean uh, falls back first on the casket mm. and it causes serious back injuries for him. Um, and But Sean is like, he retains the championship. He's still the champion. And they're building towards WrestleMania in a few months. This is when Stone Cold is the hottest thing in wrestling mm. and they really want him to win the title off of Sean at WrestleMania. Um, they ask him to good it out to WrestleMania um, where he's going to be facing Stone Cold who is portrayed by Jason Statham because oh. I couldn't really think of anyone better who's bald. Mm. Not my favourite casting, but just... Yeah. Uh, bald goatee. Bald and goatee, but he's, that means he's got to do an American accent. Yeah, uh, okay. Can Statham do American? I don't know. It's shaky. I know that. Because um, dude's like Southern, right? Is he Southern? Yeah, he's from Texas. Yeah. Um, Sean starts really bleakly drinking and popping pain pills at this point. He's really trying to get it out, but it's having a detrimental effect on his drinking and his, his growing pill addiction. It's not great. 
thinking the end is near, Sean is like worse than ever, and he starts saying out loud he's not going to go through with the finish. He's not going to drop the title to Stone Cold. He wants to win in what he thinks is going to be his last match. The Undertaker lets him know that's not going to happen, and Sean capitulates again out of fear. We get to WrestleMania 14. This is the start of the biggest boom period in wrestling. Stone Cold vs. Shawn Michaels' main event. Mike Tyson is the special guest uh, enforcer because they got Tyson in to come and do a bit. They originally wanted to be Tyson versus Austin, but Tyson said no, so it was Shawn instead. Uh, it's the famous one where um, Shawn puts on a really good match despite the fact his back doesn't work, and he gets knocked out by Mike Tyson for the for the finger. <laughs> Mike was only meant to tap him. Yeah, he, he caned him. Um, so not only is his back fucked he's just been knocked out by Mike Tyson and not like good boxing Mike Tyson like having the bit of the career bad everything's gone wrong Mike Tyson the first of the tattoos Mike Tyson yes and he absolutely canes the shit out of him (laughs) so and that's how Sean's wrestling career ends now retired we focus more on his life away from the ring Uh, he meets his wife Rebecca paid by Kate Hudson. Okay. Hang on. Uh, boom. Yep. That boom, works. Boom, boom. Um, and uh, who's a former dancer for WCW. Uh, they marry pretty quickly, but Sean is just a mess. He's drinking, partying, and doing drugs because he's got a crippling back problem and he's not in wrestling anymore. He's kind of, his personal life and his physical well-being, mm. it's all just going wrong. Um, he's proper like the wrestler. Um, as we see, Sean not really adapting to life as an on-screen character, because they do try and get him in. Like, you can still talk, you can still be a commissioner or something, but he turns up drunk high or both to TV most weeks. His marriage starts looking shaky. It's all looking like things are coming to an end. Even current day Shawn Michaels is not sugarcoating this at all. He's like, I've gone from the top guy in the industry to a has-been in record time, and I couldn't accept that the fans, the boys, the whole freaking industry had moved on from me overnight. I wasn't getting better. And if Rebecca had left me, I don't know what I would have become of me. Not to sound cliche for once, but I needed a miracle. Thankfully, I was married to one. And as low as ebb, Sean tries something his wife has been trying to introduce him to. Church! <laughs> Look, I wasn't averse to the big guy upstairs at that point, but I wasn't really in the mood to join the choir and start singing his praises either. We see a hungover, unenthusiastic, unshaved Sean attending a church service on a Sunday morning and we see a few lines catch his eye like he flicks his eye up when he's talking about the redemption and the power of God and all that good stuff um, he starts attending more frequently and works at the courage to try a confessional in the booth and again this is normal Shawn Michaels talking not kayfabe one and he's like look I've boozed smoked and snorted all over the world I've beat my, built my career on the backs of people without blinking I've ruined lives cheated manipulated Damn it, I danced around with a zucchini in my hot pants on national TV. And the thing that worries me most is that I can't say I wouldn't do it all again, even knowing it was all for nothing in the end. I don't deserve anything I have. And the vicar just says, and yet there is always forgiveness at church. This starts Sean's path to becoming a born-again Christian, which it does. Uh, Now, I don't want you to um, start thinking I'm some pencil-neck geek thumping my Bible morning, mood, and night. But even the showstopper knows who the real star is. Uh, Sean also finds a good way of staying in the wrestling business in a productive way, in a positive way, training. Uh, he opens up a school and we're introduced to the Bryans. That's Brian Kendrick, he may not have heard of, 
but he will be played by uh, Boom Lucas Till. Okay. And uh, the other Brian, Brian Danielson, aka Daniel Brian, oh. who's going to be played by Logan Learman. Okay. This is pre beard, pre vegan yeah. Daniel Bryan when he was just known as the American Dragon, the best wrestler in the world. Um, he was just all tech, couldn't speak tech. Um, and he starts training these two star pupils. Um, he starts getting into back training himself, even though we see him like take a back bump and his wife fucking scolds him for being an idiot. <laughs> uh, and he basically like sulks off like he's been told off by his mum. That's great. But you know, he starts getting back in the ring and slowly but surely after a successful back surgery, Sean starts getting in the ring and he starts to, to mix it up. He takes the Bryans to the WWF for a dark match mm. where he meets up with his old friend Triple H. And Triple H starts talking about old times and says, look, if you're up to it, the door is always open. We all know you were the best. But if you ever felt like the time was right, come back. Sean talks to his wife, who eventually agrees. Triple H promised him an easy ride. He's like, um, I'm married to the boss's daughter and I'm essentially calling the shots. You'll work with me. A few garbage street fights, just so you can get back into the swing of things. Uh, the matches go well. Sean is welcome back as like a big deal, but he's fighting like sloppy matches. They're not expecting him to be able to do much. They think he's like not washed up, but he's past his prime. So it's all chairs and stuff that you don't need a lot of athleticism to do. Sean clearly isn't happy. And um, so you hear modern day Sean say, look, they wanted me back. But the way Triple H put it, I was the legend on the shelf that would be dusted off from time to time. Uh, we see Vince laying out another easy set of matches with nice cushy endings for him. And Sean gets angry. He's like, I know I've not been around for a few years, but you know I'm the fucking best. I'm not here to trample over everybody. That Sean is thankfully dead. But damn it, Vince, I can go. Let me back on the track or fucking shoot me. Sean is booked in an Elimination Chamber match, the first one. If you've never seen the Elimination Chamber, it's designed by a fucking masochist. So is it like the cage or...? Right, so you've got your head in the cell, which is like a, just a basic metal cage over That's there. the one that Undertaker put mankind through, it isn't is. it? Yeah. The Elimination Chamber is like that thing evolved. So it's, it's basically the same thing, but instead of stopping where the ring stops, it like goes out about five foot in every direction, so right. there's like an outer perimeter. It's black instead of like being silver. And it's got these four pods in the corner. Two people start off, and then every five minutes, one of these pods open at random, and a new guy enters. You get pinned, you're eliminated, and whoever's left standing wins. But there's no padding on this. They are landing straight on steel if they get bumped out to the outside. Designed by a fucking lunatic who doesn't like people. Does that mean um, that they're essentially keeping wrestlers in pods just to release? Like they're fucking, yes. Yeah. Like and a, there's like a whole, like it goes, dum, 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 and lights start going on. Who's it going to be? Yeah. It's Mark Henry. And, it Mark Henry. and they, they're meant to be like bulletproof glass, but every year someone gets chucked straight through it. <laughs> Admittedly, the glass never breaks. It just hits and they go boing and it falls out the pane. So hang on. So if they get out the ring, they're going onto fucking... Metal. Sheet metal. Yes. It's like chains. Oh. A lot and lots of chains. I'll show you a picture. They've redesigned it now so it's a bit safer. And right. everyone moaned. and was like, no, I want my people to live for long <laughs> times. It's, it's much better now, but yeah. Chris Jericho was like, this was made by a sadist. Um, there are lots of people in this match who I haven't cast, including Booker T, RVD, Kane, and... We're uh, going for you! Chris <laughs> That's the guy! Yeah. But I didn't want to cast him. I was like, they're not even in this match. Anyway, so we see him backstage. He's nervous, but everyone is wishing him well. Wrestlers, he inspired, tell him he's the man. All he wants to do is talk to his wife. Uh, they say a little prayer together before he goes out. Uh, and we see the entirety of the match from inside the ring. 
Sometimes from point of view, sometimes from the crowd and so on. In the end, Sean wins, and he wins the World Heavyweight title. No, because it's the return of DX. No, 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 no. They're, they're fighting each other they're at this point. Triple H has turned... He's heel at the time. This corporate Triple H. Yes, yeah. he's heel champion at the time. Reign of Terror, Sean is seen as the returning good guy who's going to stop him. Okay. Um, so he's, he's, he's back, he's champion. Uh, backstage, he's cheered by everyone. Vince hugs him, and modern day Sean is like... I'm back. I was back. Vindicated, reinvigorated and reborn. I know I could still get it done in there and i just proven that. But that wasn't why I was crying. I was crying because it turned out the fans didn't forget me. The world didn't see me as it has been. They saw me as the heartbreak kid, the showstopper and I was back, baby. We cut back to the AA circle. Sean is like in a bit of tears and he's like, wow, is that time? Sorry, fellas. I got a little carried away there, but... uh. I'll let someone else start next time. <laughs> and like the guy who's like in charge, like the really nerdy guy, he's like, oh, no need, Sean. It was a great chair. Your belief is amazing and you're a great example for everyone here. Uh, I guess you could say that you and God would make a great tag team. And Sean just goes, oh, we didn't actually. We lost. <laughs> like, who lost? Me and God. You were a tag team once? And Sean's like, what? You, you didn't know about that? Oh, let me tell you. End. <laughs> Genuinely, he goes on a few years after that to have a match with, uh, feud with Vince McMahon, yeah. where Vince starts his own church, <laughs> Shane McMahon as his only disciple, and because this was like midlife crisis insane, Vince. This he isn't books... the, it's me, Austin. No, 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 that's a different midlife crisis. <laughs> um, Vince creates his own religion yeah. and pits him and Shane versus Sean and God. <laughs> God was portrayed by a light, a spotlight that came down the ramp and was in the corner. Vince obviously booked a handicap match to beat up Shawn Michaels, yeah. but God was a beam of light that <laughs> stayed in the corner. And I had to get that in yeah, because yeah, it's just yeah. the fucking funniest That's thing. fucking great. Uh, right, I have a post-credit scene. Okay. Nearly done. I've talked for a long time. Over oh. half an hour. Fun times. Uh, I needed to get this in, though, because it's it's so fucking funny. Post-credit, we see a slightly older Sean than we've seen for the rest of the movie. This is like 2005 this happens in. So, about the same age he looks in the AA meetings. Um, and he's trying to negotiate with Vince. He's like, what do you mean he won't lose? He doesn't, and Vince says, he doesn't think people would believe that you could beat him. Sean's like, you've got to be kidding me. He says, no, you're, you're too small, apparently. Sean's like, Small! A door opens and a man enters saying, Brother, don't take it personally. It's just that when you have these 24-inch pythons, you get to beat the little people. An old Hulk Hogan, played by Chris Hemsworth, enters. And Sean's like, I'm 10 years younger than you and you're 52. (laughs) And Hulk's just like, but you are small, brother. And he's like, I'm a fucking prime. In the prime of being small, dude. Um, and Sean just like, you're getting really angry, but he just stops, smiles, and he says, he just seems to laugh it off. He's like, you know what? You're right, Hulk. When, you, when you're right, you're right. I'll make you look good out there, Hulkster. Don't you worry. Pats him on the shoulder and leaves. We cut to a bit in the ring. Hogan throws one punch, like a weak punch to the side head, and Sean flips around the ring like he's been shot by a fucking shotgun, screaming his head off, oversetting the mood, rolling onto his back, standing back on, going, oh, and then rolling back over. <laughs> cut just, like, you then follow the camera, goes into Hogan's face, just goes, oh, brother. This is based on a very infamous. I've seen someone goes, yes. like that. Yeah. Based on a very famous, that legitimately happened. There yeah. was going to be three matches between Hogan and Sean because it had never happened properly before as like a main event. Hogan was in his return at this point, mm-hmm. and it was meant to be Hulk would win one, Sean would win one, and then they would just decide the winner 
probably Hulk, but they were decided winner in the third match. Yeah. All signed up to it. Sean was going to win the first one. But Hulk Hogan turned up on the day of SummerSlam and said, no, no one can believe that a man that small can beat me, despite the fact I'm 52 and old as fuck. <laughs> so Sean, instead of like getting angry and refusing and do the match, because it was the main event, decides to just do comedy overselling <laughs> in the middle of the fucking ring. So every hit he goes, Shawn Michaels is like, oh God, oh no. <laughs> like a voodoo doll's going on somewhere. Yeah. Oh, it's, please, if you go away, the, the cell, I'm going to show you later, there's a cell off a big boot where Sean hits the ground, goes back up, goes dizzy, falls over again, stands back up, does it again, and then just dies. <laughs> And that is my pitch Yay! for Showstopper, the fake true story of Shawn Michaels. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry that took so long. I'll be honest, Darren, you've gone into far more detail than I have. I just want to make sure I've got all my casting to you. I think I showed you everyone that I cast. Yep, 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 we're good. We're good. Yeah, that was uh, that. Awesome. Right up. I will point out, I had an idea for another wrestling thing, but I'm going to save that for a different adaptation. I've like got an idea for a Netflix series that I think would be fucking genius, but yeah. there we go. If we ever re- revisit, then you've got, oh. you've got an easy one to do, which is okay. always nice. Right then. I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> Literally not. Okay. Um, I've gone on a bit of a run recently with doing war movies. Hmm. Um, that continues today. Okay. Uh, it's another war movie. I, I just, I, I, f- I heard this story and I heard it on a YouTube video. And I was like, there is no fucking way any of this actually happened. Of the entire story, I only found one thing where the man himself refuted it. And the reason he refuted it is fucking hysterical. Okay. But we'll come to that later. So, my movie's called Mad Jack. Um... <laughs> I'm on board. My tagline is mad but true. Okay. <laughs> because the story's fucking insane. You know it's mad but true. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going okay. for. Okay. Um, okay, let's begin. So, the film opens in Burma in 1932. Uh, Uh-oh. Where, <laughs> where a regiment's called to formation in the pouring rain. Uh, so the soldiers reluctantly whacking on their gear, getting out of the barracks, snapping into formation with precision. However, there's a notable gap in the group. And one single private carrying an umbrella walks into place. And the commanding officer, storming over, rain pouring, drenching, but just him. He's like, why are you carrying umbrella? And the guy sort of like looks up and says, because it's raining, sir. This is John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill, affectionately known as Jack, played by James McAvoy. Oh, that's a hell of a fucking name. I know, right? So you smash cut to that meeting and that's what you hear. John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. It's Jack to friends. Well, Jack, no, no, I said it's Jack to friends. Private Churchill will do. Uh, Jack's being called up on numerous counts of insubordination, including not participating in an assault course drill because he was busy having a smoke and, quote, saw no need for such inane displays of machismo. Uh, he's issued a reprimand and asked not to play the bloody wingbags in, into the night again. Frustrated, the next day, Jack is riding his motorbike through several open villages and roads around Burma, uh, eventually returning to the barracks when he uh, is playing the bagpipes. This is a thing. Uh, Mad Jack was not only, and this is going to come into the story later, not only an incredible soldier, but a master archer and a fucking good bagpipe player. Okay. It all comes up later. Uh, He's joined by his brother Thomas, played by Luke Evans, Mm -hmm. uh, with whom he's discussing the idea of leaving the army. 
Coincidentally, the commanding officer is actually dra dra dragging Jack back into the office again. This time, there's an issue with his sleeping quarters. The commanding officer says he thought that he'd informed Jack that the use of a hot water bottle was against military po protocol. He then slams a length of rubber hose on the table, and Jack says, well, what's the problem? The officer repeats himself, and Jack says, yeah, you did in fact say that a hot water bottle was against protocol. However, technically speaking, this is a length of rubber tube. <laughs> Frustrated, the commanding officer is just yelling in his face, and Jack's just leaning back in the chair and smiling. There's a brief montage of Jack motorcycling through Burma, learning the bagpipes with the Cameron Highlanders, who were like a Scottish regiment. Right, okay. Um, and then Jack is eventually posted back home to England in the town of Strensel, Strensel? Strensel in Yorkshire, uh, completing a 14-year tour of, um, sort of the Burmese campaign, which they took part in like a lot of brush wars after World War I. Oh. It's during this time, in the homecoming celebrations, that he meets a man called... Hang on, I've got to get the full name. Uh, Robert King Clark, otherwise known as Rex. He's played by Arthur Darville. Um, he was Rip Hunter and oh, Zoe in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and the two are becoming friends over their shared interests in not only the Scottish Highlanders, but motorsports. Uh, they're seen driving a, like a, a, I'm not going to call it a classic sports car, it would have been classic at the time, yeah. but a sports car around the moors, taking photographs, practicing archery and playing the bagpipes. Um, sometime later in 1936, Jack is thoroughly bored uh, with the idea of completing his commission on home soil and decides to leave the army. He says goodbye to Rex and his brother and he leaves Strensel. Uh, and Rex says to Jack, well, where do you intend to go? And Jack says, well, I'm free for a blast anywhere I please. Um, <laughs> an interesting montage. Jack is seen travelling the world in search for excitement. In a brief sequence, and I swear to fuck this is all true, that he did all of these... He's running a newspaper and part-timing as a male model in Nairobi. He places second in the officer pi officer's class piping championships at the Aldershot Tattoo, where no Englishman has ever won before or since, and competed on behalf of Britain in the World Chargery Championships in Oslo in Norway. Following this, directly after this championships, he returns back home to England to see his family before the advent of the Second World War. Jack immediately travels back to Strensel, where he's welcomed back by his brother uh, and Rex, and also his younger brother, um, Robert Buster Churchill, played by Gregory Smith. No idea who he is. I literally just needed somebody that looked like him. Okay. Um, during this time, he signs back up to the Manchester Regiment, and the four, well, the three are shipped out to France. The younger brother ends up going in the Navy. But Rex, Thomas, and Jack uh, are all shipped out to France. Jack walks into formation with only three, sorry, four bits of kit. Bow and arrows, a basket-hilted broadsword, a set of bagpipes and a single revolver. The commanding officer, recognising Jack from all the reprimands earlier yeah. on, tentatively is like, why are you not carrying standard issue gear? To which Jack just sort of snaps into formation and says, any officer who goes into action without his sword is improperly dressed. The officer is completely exasperated and Jack sort of shares a knowing look with his brother and his best friend. Uh, the three end up going into different regiments uh, and they're with the uh, British Expeditionary Force and they're sort of posted at different points across the Maginot Line mm. um, where Jack, who was really looking forward to go getting back into proper combat, having really not enjoyed sort of peacetime, is shocked to find that it is boring trench warfare. They are sitting around in the mud playing basic mm. board games. Conditions aren't great. 
and more to the point, they're free to go to villages. They're free to go and interact with the French and Belgian townspeople. It's yeah. it's not really an interesting war. Um, he discusses his frustration with Rex in a nearby town as they drink in a small French pub before resolving that this fight is not worth fighting. I'm going to go and join a different regiment. He signs up to join a regiment that's travelling to Norway. However, the mission completely falls through when it becomes apparent the Allies weren't ready for what Germany was bringing to the table. Orders are passed down to the platoons that tell them to make a hasty retreat to the French town of Dunkirk. I think you can tell where this is going. Mm. Uh, Upon receiving the orders, Jack chooses to purposefully interpret them in a different manner. Uh, He selects a few members of his squadron for this plan, which is not to go directly to Dunkirk, but in fact take a different approach, zigzagging across the Maginot Line, ambushing German patrol groups on his way there. In one incident, uh, Jack and his little platoon of mad lads uh, (laughs) are hiding in a tower... And they, the, the, what's he, him and a couple are hiding in the tower, and there's a couple dotted around in like bushes and that. The way that he signals the ambush is to raise the fucking basket hilted sword into the air. One of the German officers sees it. The last confirmed longbow kill in wartime. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's fucking incredible. Um, during this skirmish, he also manages to puncture the neck of a German soldier with a barbed arrow with his bare hands. I shit you not. All of this is true. <laughs> anyway, we go to Dunkirk. Um, Rex and a squadron are getting absolutely marmaladed by the German, the German forces. Um, at one point, there is a wounded British officer that has been attacked by a German ambush. In wonders in... Well, <laughs> what I've, I've kind of embellished a little bit here as to what might have actually happened. But in my version... Um, <laughs> the wounded officer is completely surrounded and then... Thump, thump, in comes Jack, oh, um, single-handedly holding off a, a German ambush, then immediately running up to a German machine gun post, as it would be easier to deal with the machine gun rather than run away from it by lobbing a grenade straight in. Um, <laughs> then, nearer to the beach line of the town, Rex, who's already retreated with his squadron, are looking in a bad way. They're being attacked by a small German troop, who then, of course, also go down with arrows. In comes the image of Jack, on a motorbike with a German helmet over the the lamp, shooting bows and arrows as he goes along. I swear to Christ, this is uh. real. As he pulls up, Jack is bleeding from the neck and ear. Hello, Rex. Have you got anything to drink? <laughs> Rex asks about the injury and he says, ah, machine gun turret situation. This is all true. Oh, God. On the German side of battle, and this is going to be like, I want German actors, but I just want like subtitles. Yeah, yeah. An officer is, is saying, this report is wrong. There's no way we have multiple casualties by arrows until he's walking through and seeing how many have been hit. He's like, good God. <laughs> Jack and Rex return to England where they are to be sent back to Strensel. However, when they arrive back on the southern coast of England, they are approached by the British Armed Forces with an offer to join the commandos for Jack. This is a brand new thing. This is the progenitor to the SAS. Um, they... He's promised to receive aggressive military service and is the easiest yes that Jack has said in his entire life. They get taken up to Dumbarton in Scotland uh, to begin training for a new role. Um, There's an intensive training sequence here where they get trained in demolitions, explosives, heavy firearms and infiltration and capturing. Uh, Jack is getting treated up for a minor injury to his ankle where he meets Rosamund Denny, who is a 
a nurse at the uh, Dumbarton Military Hospital. Yep. Uh, she's played by Gemma Arterton, because I haven't seen her in a movie yep. in fucking forever. You could have had Rosamund Pike, just saying. I know, but it's too easy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's a very quick whirlwind romance, which results in quite a swift marriage. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, this isn't like a... This doesn't come up much more after this, because I want to focus more on... The, the rest stuff. of the mad lad shit he does, but yep. he's very happily married to Rosamund. I think they were together for 55 years. Fair. Until he snuffed it. Right. Um, oh, spoiler but, alert, oh my God. Uh, um, but yeah, that's going to pop up. Jenna You see, she sort of appears a lot in the movie in letters right. uh, and telegrams and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's all good. So, um, that the, at the wedding, it marks the last time that Thomas, Rex and Buster, sorry, Thomas, Jack and Buster, the three brothers, are all together. They're, they don't know this, but this is going to be the last time they all see each other. Right. In 1941, Jack is shipped off uh, to Malloy in Finland for Operation Archery. This is one of the first of the commando's missions. Mm-hmm. He's tasked with storming a garrison on the coast in order to facilitate a full-scale invasion of Norway. Um, now, now I've got to I've got to get some music here because you know that I'm going to have a bagpipe soundtrack yes. to this movie. Oh, it's God, fantastic! Yeah. That's what the world fucking needs more bagpipes. <laughs> It's just, it, it adds a little bit to it. No, but they were invented by the Scottish to annoy us. <laughs> I know, yeah. But I just want you to picture the scene. So, okay. think the D-Day landings. Yep. The boats are coming in. Yeah. Down comes the hatch. There's just one dickhead at the front with a fucking sword and bagpipes. This is the March of the Cameron Men. He stands in the front of the boat playing the bagpipes. The Germans are like, this guy is mentally insane. What's going on? Now, he stops playing, but I'd have that carrying on for the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> the first thing he does is lob a grenade and run sword first at the fucking machine guns. <laughs> this is all real. Um, so he charged the positions, uh, and the bag... I want the bagpipe music all the way through it. Uh, they take the garrison in 30 minutes. <laughs> you go back to British intelligence, a te- telegram comes through. Malloy battery in Ireland captured. Casualty slight. Demolitions in progress. Churchill. Elsewhere, there's a battered and beaten Nazi army who are retreating. A high-ranking officer says, Well, why didn't you fire on the guy with the sword and the bagpipes? A rifleman replies, It would be cruel to fire on a man who's mentally ill. <laughs> Sometime into the Norwegian campaign in 1942, Mac, uh, Mad Jack receives word that his bro- from his brother Thomas, who's now stationed in Italy, yep. that his brother Buster has died in service with the Navy during Operation Pedestal. Jack is sad, but he's honoured that his brother died in combat in the serving of his country. We jump forward to 1943. Um, Jack is now in command of two commando, which is one of the higher up uh, things, and starts landing in Salerno in Italy. Uh, Their job is to destroy German observation and artillery posts in the town of Salerno and the nearby village of Pigioletti. Um, The plan is to raid the posts at night and spread out the men, because they don't have many men in the commandos. You're talking like, I think it's 50 altogether, and that's that's a pretty small number yeah, yeah. of people. Churchill's plan is to space them out, fire randomly at the positions, and all of them yell at the top of their voices the word commando over and over and over again. It works. 
Um, as they bad, battled further into the village of Salerno, during the dead of night, Churchill and one of his corporals, Ruffle, who I've got played by... Yeah, I know. Ruffle. Corporal Ruffle. Um, I've got played by an up-and-coming actor called Luke de Belder. He just sounds like a dog. <laughs> Come, Commander Ruffle. 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 Yeah, he's been played by Luke de Belder, who he's not been in much. Yeah. Um, he's in an upcoming short film called Everything is Going to Be Fine. And more importantly, I went to university with him. He's, ah! he's perfect for the role. Oh, he's God. absolutely perfect for okay. the role. I'd want him in it. Um, you don't catch me in you, you fucking movie. <laughs> Being a short film, maybe I will. Um, okay. So Churchill and Ruffle have gone on far ahead into the town in the dead of night to find German and Italian soldiers digging trenches. Um, Mad Jack does the only thing he knows best, which is to march right up to them, point his basket-hilted sword at them, and get them to surrender. It works. <laughs> And he's like, well, it would be wrong of us to only take these ones. We'd better round up as many as we can. Over the course of the night, him and Colonel Ruffle, two men alone, took 42 prisoners. The whole campaign, 50 of his men took 136 German and Italian prisoners. Um, When asked by a superior officer later, during the debrief, he said, I maintain that as long as you tell a German loudly and clearly what to do, if you are senior to him, he will cry your vol and get on with it enthusiastically and efficiently, <laughs> whatever the situation. This is why the Germans make such marvellous soldiers. <laughs> Unfortunately, during an action sequence, again, set to some kick-ass bagpipe music... That's Jack- just Nixies. <laughs> I'm Dropkick Drop Murphys. Oh, okay. I get Dropkick Murphys to do the soundtrack. Jack loses his sword in hand-to-hand combat, so... As he's coming back from Salerno to the small town of Pigoletti, uh, he bumps into uh, an American patrol who are heading the wrong way towards enemy lines. Jack points out the mistake. You're heading directly into German territory. You're going to get yourself killed. The Germans are... Sorry. The Americans are confident they're going the right way. Jack says, and I quote, I'm going to go my own way. I'm not coming back a bloody third time. (laughs) We jump forward to 1944 where Jack... After being given, at this point, he's had he's been given the military cross twice mm. for services to the British Army. So he's deployed to Yugoslavia and to the island of Brak, uh, where he's um, they're trying to take a strategical hill position called Point Six Two Two. Unfortunately, he only had twelve men. Oh no! So it didn't go very well. Uh. Um, several heavy casualties from a grenade means that Jack ends up standing alone on a point, surrounded by Italian soldiers, just. By himself. Right. This is where you you get a really sombre moment where Jack comes to turn with his own mortality. He stands alone in the middle of a field playing Will Ye Know Come Back Again, which is this song. Okay. Oh, I feel like he's building to something. There it is. So, one mad bastard in a field just playing this on his own because he knows there's no way out. Unfortunately, this little ditty is cut short when he receives a grenade blast, is knocked unconscious and captured by the Germans. Oh, mad. (laughs) There's an interrogation scene. He's been flown to Berlin where an SS officer is torturing him to find out information. What they've essentially realised is that he shares the same surname as Winston Churchill. Unfortunately, he is absolutely no relation. Jack refuses to give up any information and is transferred to Sachsenhausen concentration camp. Uh. Uh, This is where he bumps into RAF officer Bertram James, who was a friend of his former brother. Not former brother, they're always brother, brother. you know what I mean? Yeah, his deceased brother. Late brother. Um, What happens then is they start to work on a Great Escape style tunnelling under the 
the uh, enemy lines and, yeah. and lines to escape. They actually get out, but unfortunately are captured on the Baltic coast by the Wehrmacht. They're transferred to a different camp in Niederdorf, Austria, where this interesting scene plays out. Jack and about, I think it's about 100 other people are in like a large truck, thinking of like a cattle truck, yeah, yeah. being taken in towards the gates. Uh, the German officer, um, who on record, Captain Richard von Alversleben, hell of a name, who I want played by uh, Thomas Kretschmann, who was uh, Baron von Strucker. Oh, okay, yep. Nice. Oh, and Bertram James, I want played by, um, is it Ewan Rion? Um Oh, he was in Misfits. Oh, Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey Bolton. Right, okay. There we go. Just because I want a couple of like yeah, yeah. English and German stars in this. I think that'd be fun. Um, what happened was, is they were about to be handed over and through the gaps in the thing, uh, because the Germans could still speak relatively basic English, mm. um, Bertram leans out and says, they're planning on killing us. They're going to execute us. You have to, you know, have a heart. Um Wicked says, is this true? Do you plan on executing these men? And the SS man doesn't even blink. He's like, yes, we plan on killing them. They are the enemy. Um, the German officers say, okay, we're not handing them over then. <laughs> the, the German officers outnumber the SS representatives. So the SS back off. They drive the van back out the gate and release all the prisoners. Oh, wow. Mad Jack shares a handshake with um, Wicked and then fucks off. Jack then walks over eight days, 150 miles throughout the Alps. He walks out of Austria into Italy over eight days, surviving on vegetables that he liberates from small gardens on the way. Um, at this point, whilst he's traversing heavy, heavy um, terrain and snow, he, boxing, he rolls the same ankle that he broke at the hospital. This is where mm-hmm. he starts to think more about, I'm leaving my wife behind, I'm leaving my brothers behind, I'm leaving my yep. friends behind. Am I going to die in the tundra? Um, he does get into Italy where he bumps into an American armoured division uh, and is rescued, taken to a medical unit and shipped back to England. Jack is pissed off. Um, <laughs> at this point, the war in Europe is ending. Um, it's The Western Front is almost looking certain to be an Allied victory. Yeah. Armies are marching on Berlin. What he says, though, the first thing is he gets back, back to England is, there are still the nips, though, aren't there? This is a general quote. I would never use that information. Okay. To say. Um, he voluntarily gets on a passenger plane to Burma to join the Battle of the Pacific. However, when he arrives in August 1945, Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs are dropped, effectively ending the Second World yeah. War. He returns home and, rather annoyed, shares, go and shares a drink with Rex. And he says, and I quote, if it weren't for those damn Yanks, he could have kept the war going on for another 10 years. <laughs> So you think that would be a natural end to that story? Yes. The Allies have won. World War Two has reached its uh, rather nuclear conclusion. Yeah. You think that that's where Jack would stop? You thought wrong. Cut forward to 1948 in Palestine with the Seaforth Highlanders. Jack is in full military gear, kilt included, like a real man. Um, where the Hasada Hasada Jewish Medical Convoy. There's an event known as the the um, Hasada Medical Convoy massacre. Uh, a bunch of um, serving, what was it, serving Jewish um, army men, I'll yeah. call them that, and civilians uh, were being attacked. Mm. Jack, kilt on, dress, medals, sword, walks, big beaming fucking smile, right up to the convoy that's getting pelted with machine gun fire, and yeah. he goes, do you need any help? <laughs> <laughs> he... <laughs> 
So he's been he's been told under strict instructions by his um, his high ups in the Seaforth Highlanders, Britain cannot get involved with this conflict. You need to stay out and protect the civilians. That does not stop him from using his bow and arrows in this situation. Oh. He rescues seven hundred people with oh, his team from the convoy and the hospital combined. After this, though, um, you get a little bit of a wind down in terms of Jack's career. He Damn it, I thought he was going to be fucking storming back down. <laughs> I fucking wish. Um, up to the years of 1959, he spends out his time in Australia, where he becomes a land-air warfare instructor. Uh, so it's essentially training paratroopers, right, okay. which is fucking phenomenal. Um, he retires in 1959 and stays in Australia for a few years, where he takes up surfing... Um, but he has a conversation with his wife saying it's time to go home. We need to yeah. go back to England, where he becomes the first man to su- to surf the River Severn. <laughs> I know. Um, and the fu- the final scene, and again, I swear to Christ, all of these details are true. It's it's old man old man Jack on a train. Um, I believe they lived in Surrey. I think. Yeah. Either way, it's I think it's like it's like idyllic British countryside. It's everything's green. All the houses are brown brick. It's it's lovely. Yeah. An old man stands up, takes his suitcase from above him, belts it out the fucking window, <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "It's all right. I live there. I just don't want to carry it home." <laughs> he gives a, a knowing nod to the guy who's driving the train, who's the guy that he rescued from Dunkirk. Uh... And exits, and and there's there's a line that's akin to, well, don't you know that's Mad Jack? No one fucks with Mad Jack, right? And that's where you. Oh end. boy, do you ever look at your life and think I'm wasting my time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm 28 now. I'm touching distance to 30, and I haven't achieved even like a tenth of what that bloke's been doing. I know. In like so many short years, he did such ridiculous nonsense. We've got to get a fucking act together. I mean, I'm not joining the army. We're crying. <laughs> Well, that was magical, man. You know, when you hear a story, it's like, there's no way any of this is true. But yeah. I went and did my research. Um, both Rex um, and Jack's brother and Jack himself had all written books about these accounts. Right. They're 100% fucking true. There is so much shit I've had to leave out. But before World War II started, he went on a mot- not a motorbike, a motorsport tour of Europe with just him and Rex. Okay. I had to cut that entire thing. I had to cut out all the stuff he did after Palestine I had yep. to cut out all the bits he did when he got to Burma all the shit he did when he was in Burma after the First World War I had to cut out the fact that he had cameo roles in The Thief of Baghdad A Yank at Oxford and there's another one but they couldn't they needed to find a guy who was good at archery so but they got him yeah okay. oh Ivanhoe that's it right so the man's been on top of Warwick Castle shooting fucking <laughs> arrows for a film this man has had the fucking weirdest life I think I've I'm ever so read. proud of him. I mean, where did you hear that story? I had heard about it was on a podcast. I think at some point it was. I can't remember the name of it, but they yeah. were discussing this mad soldier. Um, and then Ken Dankula did a video about it, the, the Nazi pug guy. Yeah, but it's such a good story. I had to watch more. <sighs> Fuck me, that's amazing. But my vision for that is I wanted I wanted directed by um, oh my god, what's his name? He directed First Class. Oh, 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 God. And Kick-Ass. Um, oh, Matthew no. Vaughan. Yeah. I want Matthew Vaughan directed, James yes. Cameron starring. And when James he... Cameron? <laughs> James McAvoy. I mean, don't, I mean, you can chuck him in as a general if you who's want. That, it doesn't really work. James Cameron. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it, I want the fight scenes to be like wanted. So like he's doing crazy bow and arrow sword fighting, yeah. hand-to-hand shit. Yeah, but it happens to be against Nazis. It's World of War Two. Angelina Jolie. Okay, yeah. nice. 
That is a great pitch. That's a ma- What was the thing you had to cut because he refuted it? So, apparently, um, during one of the raids in Norway, the way that everybody knew to attack yeah. uh, was he fired a longbow and pierced someone's neck where the guy called out and that alerted the German guards. Uh, and that was supposedly the last recorded longbow kill. Right. Not the last recorded arrow kill. Right. Um he refuted that that happened because, unfortunately, his longbow got run over by a tank <laughs> days prior. He was going to do it, but he's like, fuck, I can't do it now. How, do you, how does that even happen? I don't know. <laughs> There's so many fucking questions. To be fair, tanks are not known for their How stealth. do you ride a motorbike whilst firing bows and arrows? I want to know how he did it. For Cap struggle chucking a shield. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> fucking articulate British madman. You've basically done, what if Hawkeye was in World War II? <laughs> yeah. I'm very happy about that. I think we've both got very strong pitches there, Michael. Oh. I, I have no... I have no... <laughs> I want to see that movie now. I'm just sad I don't get to. Stylistically, I think your movie is stronger because I, I like your framing device. Mine was just, this story is so mental. It needs I to have... be committed to film. Yeah. I get that. I want this on print in a spaceship telling aliens what the fuck we do Don't down come here because this man used to live here and there's potential for more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. It's up to you again to have to pick between our two pitches. I'm very proud of this episode. This may be our joint strongest in terms of both really good not to blow my own trumpet but I feel like we had some really good stories there. Very different stories. Yeah, I think this and phase four are the closest competitions yes. yeah, that we've yeah, yeah. had. I'll give you that. So... Let them know how they can vote, Michael. Yeah, so you can go and vote on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on SoundCloud under the username FowlEnt. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. You can go and tell me on Twitter and Instagram that you want to watch Mad Jack the movie at, at that Mike Owen. Or you can go and tell Darren that you want to go and watch Showstopper the movie on Twitter and Instagram at The Guttridge. You can also go to FowlEnstainment.com for more written articles, more podcasts, more of everything you love. Please go and subscribe to us on Spotify, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever it is that you receive your podcasts. Please, speaking of our Phase 4 pitch, please do go and read Michael's excellent article about what he thinks is going to be coming up in Phase 4 now we've seen Endgame, because that podcast was pre-Endgame. It was, yeah. So we didn't have a clue. Uh, I think you still had Thanos in your... I did, yeah. I did. No, no, Thanos died in... I think it was actually before Infinity War. Because I think I had Thanos dying in Infinity War, and my Avengers film was um, something else. Who was my bad guy? I can't even remember now. Oh, no. It wasn't Kang. No, I had Kang. You had Kang. What? I, I need to listen to it again, like you should. But yeah, go read Marvel's re- written version. Any day now, Kevin Feige is going to be telling us what the actual next phase is. Phase four? Phase four. Phase four is going to be. So please do go listen. Let's go and read that. You can listen to our Shazam review, which is very timely, um, <laughs> and, uh, which is up on the website. Now, we will be having the following coming very soon. John Wick 3, Michael Cenit, I haven't. Detective Pikachu, Michael Cenit, I haven't. Is there a trend here? Uh, King of the Monsters Godzilla, neither no, of seen it. It's not out. Uh, and X-Men Dark Phoenix are all coming up relatively <laughs> soon. I think it's literally week after week after week. Yeah. After week. None of us not... want to see that end one though. No. That's not including Rocket Man and Aladdin, which are also coming out, and Men in Black International after X-Men, but again, 
the most humorless trailers for a comedy I've seen in a very long time. Mm, they don't look no, good. I have faith in those two. I have in Chris Hemsworth and uh, Valkyrie Lady, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson, yeah. But oh god, it's like an abs- It's like an like oh. a experiment in the anti-comedy. The big send home joke of that was an excellent catch. I'm like, yeah, mm. yeah, it was. Sorry, what's the joke? Because he's Thor and he throws hammers. Mm. Uh. Yeah, it's not great, but their website is so go and check it out. Yeah. Right then, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pitch Intense. We will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody! Bye!